Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bullrath Feed. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Bullrath Company. With me today, as he has been 49 times before, is our co-host and producer, Justin Pearson. Justin, welcome to show number 50 of the Bullrath Feed. Big 5-0. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. Hey, we got a really special show and, and another special guest with us here today. Uh, a member of our team who's been with us uh, all the way, who is um, who's our, part of our production crew, part of the digital marketing at Volrath. He's in all our pre-production meetings and he's promoting the show and helping with distribution and uh, just everything, helping us with the feed. And that's Nate Wolfel. Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me uh, on this side of the show. It's it's yeah. interesting and fun and exciting and nerve-wracking all at the same time to be on this <laughs> end of things instead of on the fly-on-the-wall side of it. Right. No, <laughs> but, you know, this is this is number 50, so we've got to do things different and special for today. Special day today. And, and for everyone listening, um, you know, we started this show about a year ago. And from the beginning, we tried to bring you the thoughts and stories of a wide range of people that make up the world of commercial food service. And we always say it's a big industry and we always had some fun and interesting people to talk about. And thank you to everyone who's listened along the way. It's been a lot of fun and we hope helpful and entertaining for you as well. And I just want to also put a shout out to all the support from everyone at the Volrath Company that has helped us with the feed. And it takes a lot more than the team we have on with us today, but it is, uh, it's been a pleasure with everyone's support and um, look forward to the next 50. So thank you to everyone back at the ranch, so to speak, listening to us every day. We appreciate it and all the work that goes into the feed. So as I said, though, today, 50, it's a little special. And uh, we're going to have with us a guest today that is also part of the Volrath family and the crew. He's actually our president and CEO. We'll have Paul Bortelt joining us on the show for our, our special 50th episode today. So uh, it'll be fun speaking with him, and then a little later, we will be doing a favorite moments a recap of some of our favorite moments from the first 50 episodes of the feed. So we'll have a, another great show lined up for today. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this show, Rich. We're looking back on our favorite moments, and there really has been a lot. It was it was challenging to try and pick one moment that I, that I could say was my my favorite moment, and because I really, in all honesty, I probably have about four or five that were in my top moments, and but you know, we, I, I was able to narrow it down after after a lot of sleepless nights. No, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, when you when we came up with this idea, I knew right away, right away, which one. Was yeah, my I favorite. know you did. Yeah, <laughs> right away. It was uh, when I when I heard it, I I just bang and hit me and. Uh, I still think of it actually. I mean, it was a very that memorable for me. So yeah, well, that was that was definitely one of my top ones too. But I couldn't I couldn't take that uh, because I I truly believe like you loved it more than me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna get to hear Nate's favorite moment this uh, on this show. I'm with I'm more in Justin's camp. It was it was difficult, and it's like as someone who has been with the show since the very first episode, there we've gone on such a cool journey so far. And food service is just full of cool people, interesting mm -hmm. people, and we've met so many of them and haven't and yet we haven't even scratched the surface of all the stories there are to tell. But yeah, picking my favorite moment was difficult, but the one you picked, Rich, was definitely on my radar. If if you hadn't scooped <laughs> it up, I, I would have as well. <laughs> Oh no, Nate! You bring up a good point. You know, in, in fifty shows, I mean, they're all as we talk about them, even 
off the air and uh you know we remember these people and and we talk about their stories and and even their quotes that they give us at the end to me there's a lot of those that i remember just because they they're such great quotes right and there's just been so many good moments that we've gotten from all of our guests that yeah it's just been it's been a good ride it really has and a year into it who would have thought this was was going to be our path but uh, here we are yeah well that's a great thing about people's advice coming from food service you don't have to work anywhere near food service to gain value out of out of uh, a chef or a salesperson or a designer's perspective because so much can can be applied to just everyday life and philosophies to to make yourself better or more efficient at something. So there's just so much good advice buried in in everything that comes out of the the work experience of a food service professional. It's like I say with the intro that I always give to our live VU, uh, Valrath University trainings that we do. If you take a nugget or two from every show, really, that that's kind of it, right? I mean, you may not listen to the person from start to, to the end and think, boy, that was just every part of that was so interesting to me. But Every show, you'll take a couple of nuggets away that you can use just in a lot of different areas of your life or business. Or I just get so much energy from listening to people who are really passionate about what they do. And I think yeah. that's something I've appreciated most about our guests. We are yet to run into one who does not live every ounce of what they do, just breathe it and eat it and sleep it. And it's just, it's so exciting to hear from someone who is that passionate about their chosen profession. It's just, I get so much energy from it. And I think that's what I appreciate most is that it's just fun to listen to smart people talk about things they're experts in. That, that's so true. That's something that I really hadn't, hadn't thought about this, the, the passion level on every single person that we've had on is just, it's been there and they, they show it in different ways. It's not like everyone's just all super bubbly and, but you can tell that they have a deep passion for what they're doing. Otherwise they, they wouldn't be there because more often than not, it's a lot of hard work. You know, it's a lot of hours, and it's it's a lot of sacrifice that you that you have to put in to to make it work and make it make it successful. All right. Well, today we have a great show as always, but today being our fiftieth show, we have something a little different planned. On today's show, a little bit later, we'll be recapping some of our favorite moments from the past episodes. But before we get to that, we have a very special guest uh, who will help us recap those fifty or 49 shows. And today we have with us Paul Bartelt, the president and CEO of the Volrath Company. Paul, welcome to the Volrath feed. Thank you very much. I'm excited to uh, be participating in this uh, this 50th event. Historic. Historic. Historic moment. Yes. Now, I know you listen to the show a lot. Is it, it, you When you're running, you're a, a big runner. You like to do you listen to the show then a lot, or? Yeah, it's a uh, you know I, I get a lot of good miles in, and and I always find the the content of the, every podcast to be fascinating, and and it really always to me illustrates the wide impact that food service and our customers have, and it, it never fails to amaze me how many different ways um, our products through the people who use them touch the people people in our country. So you're running when you listen to this a lot of the times. Has there been ever been any moments that have just kind of stopped you in your tracks? You're like, wait a minute, what are these guys doing here? <laughs> well, it's usually when I hear you and Rich going back and forth and I stop and I think to myself, am I paying these guys for this thing? Really? Yeah, that's fair. You know, yeah, it's, it is. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a great run. We, we really have. And 
Um, Paul, you always say uh, it's okay, it's okay to ask you anything, but you reserve the right not to answer, right? So that's the plan for today. That's there's there's where we're going. So <laughs> all right, bring it on. <laughs> no, I got a couple of softballs here for you right in the beginning. So I just for our listeners, you know, you came into the Volrath company in 2009 and you'd come from a different background and you're in food service now. And I know we joke about it and everything, but really you're, you're got up to speed very quickly. It's a different industry. Can you just kind of give our listeners a little background on your career path and then, you know, the last uh, years in the Volrath company here? Absolutely. And, and, you know, this may surprise you, Rich, but, uh, and you stereotype me as a, as a non food service uh, uh, person, but, I think uh, I, like a lot of Americans, my first job was in food service. So uh, in high school, started at age 16, and actually uh, about halfway through college, I I worked for the fine fast food restaurant Hardee's, the, ah, the chain. Ah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, front of the house, back of the house, um, Ended up being a trainer, ended up opening up restaurants uh, for the franchise, franchise group, franchisees, franchise group we were in. So I opened up restaurants for the franchise group we were in. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it's funny, right? They always say food service kind of gets in your blood and never really goes away. And, and uh, although not an esteemed place to uh, learn your cooking skills, um, I can trace kind of my my comfort in the kitchen and kind of the fascination with uh, uh, playing with ingredients to make uh, new things that were often not on the official menu uh, of, <laughs> of Hardee's. But, uh, you know, that kind of was a start of a lifelong interest in food. But also, uh, you know, as, as you guys well know, you know, working in the back of the house, working in fast food uh, really teaches you a lot about working as a team, working with interesting personalities working under pressure right you know there's there's nothing like working in a fast food restaurant when three buses of you know high school football players roll in you know 30 minutes before <laughs> close you know after you've wiped down about half the kitchen and getting ready for clothes so um so yeah i, I cut my uh cut my teeth in uh food service and you know it's it's always interesting when i think about my career it's hard to connect the dots going forward, if you will, but it's easy to connect the dots looking backwards, right? So, um, so you know, after after food service, uh, went to university, got a couple of engineering degrees, spent kind of the first third of my career. Wait, wait, I don't mean to stop you there. What does that mean? Get a couple of engineering degrees? <laughs> you, you say that like you walked down to the grocery store and picked up a gallon of milk and eggs. <laughs> You know, I, you know, I'm a couple of engineering degrees might have been my, on my way to becoming a professor, but ended up having, you know, a little, a little too short of an attention span for that. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, uh, spent some time doing research at university. Um, during my graduate school days, I actually taught a class I was taking simultaneously. So I was lucky enough to get an A in that class. It was it was tough when you had to write your own quiz and uh, and and then take it. But uh, no, you know, like a lot of life changes uh, left uh, the university uh, when I got married. Right, and those those darn darn women always uh, make you change your life trajectory. But uh, and ended up uh, um, after after teaching at the university, ended up working in the egg industry for. Uh, 
John Deere, a um, whole bunch of different jobs. Uh, and uh, uh, oddly enough, uh, my wife and I got in our early 30s and and you start thinking about having a family and, and your life perspectives change a little bit. And uh, we were moving, uh, I was moving jobs about every seven months when we were at John wow. Deere. And, and that's not necessarily conducive to a, a stable family life. So uh, we moved to the area we're in now, lovely Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And uh, the last place we lived when we were working at Deere, there were more hogs in the county than people, right? <laughs> so we were probably one of the few couples that uh, moved to uh, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, that thought we were moving to the big city, right? You know, <laughs> it had more than one grocery store. We were we were pretty excited about that. Moving up and a Hardee's. So and yeah, Hardee's, Carl's Jr. You know, it had everything. <laughs> but uh, so then the you know the next ten eleven years, um, we worked for a Kohler company on the plumbing side and and the uh, the engine side, um, and another life change. Uh, my uh, kids were nine and seven probably, and and we were opening up joint ventures in China and India, and uh, uh, I was going around the world about once a month, and and I was getting ready to leave for a trip and, and apologizing to my kids for not being there. And my daughter, who may be as blunt as I am, um, which is scary, uh, looked at me and said something along the line of, uh, that's okay, dad. We don't expect you to be there, but we love you anyway. So brutal. Oh, like if you're a parent, if you're a rough. parent, that's like a, that, that's like a knife in the heart. So it's about an 18 hour flight to Beijing from Chicago. By the time I landed, I, uh, decided I was going to do something different and, and, and things, things worked out, um, that I could join Volrath and um, not have to move my family and, and uh, get back to my uh, food service roots. And, and bizarrely enough, see, everything comes together at the end. It, it combined my, uh, uh, my passion for making things out of metal and my passion for food, right? So I could have never drawn that path ahead of time, but, you know, here I am a couple of decades after I started at Hardee's and, uh, um, as happy as I can be. Wow. That's, you know, you're wow. right, that, that yeah, story. Rich is like, all... wow. No. He's like, wow, that was, that was so well, great. Well, I didn't know a lot of that. I've known you pretty well. We've traveled, and, and that was I learned a lot about you in that story. I didn't know some of those things. That That is really kind of neat how that does come together. And um, I, I did set you up as a little bit of an outsider on food, but you are legit. You love cooking, and we talk about that, and you you know, we talk about different things with with cooking and sous vide i know you're a big fan of sous vide and all that so um but it is it, it was very interesting and your your ride at volrath was was a great you know we're doing companies moving along everything's going great until we get to to this year and then that is just um as we've started the show we're talking to our guests about this year and how things changed and, and the need to change but you came out very early on and our company uh i think when I talked to a lot of people, was very impressed by our leadership team and really being a leader. And you came out very early with your Bartelt's rules of surviving a pandemic. You had five rules that you told us all about. And 
can you just tell us a little like where did you dream up the rules was that on a run did you have some previous experience with something that you knew that you wanted to lay out some rules and and how did that all start and just kind of talking about those mm-hmm. rules and and did you have these rules before the pandemic did you have pandemic rules before <laughs> <laughs> well but you know two weeks before the pandemic i i was drunk and in the gutter you know trying crying, crying myself to sleep and they came to me no I, it, uh, yeah is this the part of the podcast where we bleep words out as i described those couple of months uh in the early <laughs> pandemic is it it was it was it was awesome, you know, working seven days a week and hmm. living in the living in the office building. Good times. No, um, <laughs> the uh, as as some of our marketing folks uh, patiently coach me when I say I'm old, they so say you're not old, you're just experienced, Paul. So, <laughs> um, you know, so I think the you know experience does teach you some things, and and it's. Um, you know, we had a great leadership team that got us through this and, and, and certainly, um, I'm nothing special except for the fact that I've just lived through, you know, a couple of shit storms. Can we say shit storm on the podcast? Uh, yes, we that, can. That's allowed. You know, lived through the 08, 09 recession, lived through 9-11, you know, lived through, uh, um, a couple of other interesting times and, and, and what you learn is, is the uh, maybe the genesis of all these kind of economic crises may be different, but they all kind of play out the same, right? So after a while, um, by learning what not to do, you kind of learn what you should do by elimination, right? So, um, so and, and, you know, a couple of those things are, you know, you don't sugarcoat things to folks. You be honest about what's going on, Um problems aren't going to go away so you have to address them faster and and so um i thought the the five rules for the global pandemic kind of like the five rules for a you know zombie apocalypse or were uh, <laughs> were uh were good to bring out and you know and, and and it 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 helps frame everybody's reference and 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 let them know that we're in this together and and uh if we just focus on a couple of things we'll get through it and i think by and large you know we got through it Right. And and uh, in something like what we've just gone through, as we've heard from many of our guests um, in this podcast in the first 49 episodes, sometimes just surviving and getting through it is a victory in itself. Yeah, that's so true. And because so many so many haven't been able to pull through. You know, one of the things that that has made me stop when I'm listening to the podcast, when I'm out for my run, you know, several times we had guests on the show that their passion in giving back to the community and helping people that were affected in this last year, whether it be folks in the community, whether it be students in their school system, whether it be uh, co-workers or peers in the food service industry, that passion and level of caring, you know, a couple of times, it, I think it was the wind in my eyes that made me tear up, but uh, no, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty. It was pretty impactful stuff, right? And you know, in, in some cases, some of the some of our guests really didn't have anything to give, but they were still given everything they had, which was which was pretty darn impressive to me. So, as as leaders, um, we look at different leaders, and different leaders have a style. Do you think you have a style? <laughs> and and if so, I mean, I'm trying to. <laughs> this is a, this is one of those good interview questions. I hope. Uh, I mean, do you, do you look at other people that you've 
you've uh, worked for in your career and looked at some of them and thought, boy, I really like that person's style? Or do you think you just kind of fall into your own style eventually? Or how does that work? You know, I don't know. Is being a short, sarcastic, bald, cynical guy a style? Does that count? Oh, that's very much a style. Yes, Does that count? You know, I'm rocking. I'm rocking that style. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. You know, it's a great question. I. I think as a leader, as you go through, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I probably learned more of what not to do by watching other people. But one of the things that was probably shared with me at one point or I internalized it is ultimately if you're going to be a good leader you have to be authentic to who you are right if you if you try to be one person outside of work and a, a different person as a leader that doesn't work for you and, and and the folks you're leading usually kind of smell their way through it and it's uh it's actually interesting I'm, I'm fortunate enough to <clears throat> be working with a a new executive assistant, and, and she's still trying to figure out, which takes a while, trying to figure out me. And, <laughs> and uh, the person I am at work is the same person I am at home, which is the same person I'm out at the bar, right? You know, I am who I am. Uh, so I think authenticity uh, is really an important thing in leader. So if you're authentic, have, have integrity, you know, reasonable, reasonable skill sets, I think people actually follow you. But if you're not authentic and you don't have integrity, I don't think people will follow you. And it's kind of hard to be a leader without having people follow you. It no, seems obvious. A lot of truth. No, there's a lot of truth. <laughs> it seems in that. obvious, but you said that, and I'm just like, oh, wait. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Justin. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> Let's see. Note to self Justin thinks I actually make sense. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like I should turn around uh, to you guys. So, how would you describe my leadership? Oh, wow. oh boy! Okay. okay. Oh boy. Next question. All right. Let's <laughs> see if I still get paid for this after this. No, I, yeah. <laughs> Cowards. Uh, no, I, I have a comment. I, I, I think Paul. Um, I, as a, a person who you know, when I do the trainings, I, I bring guests, and I think you're honest. I think you, you know, you're direct uh, into the point. There's no use beating around the bushes. You said earlier, it's the facts. We deal with facts, and your style is um, just do the right things when you should do them. And you'll be fine with you. I think you get more, probably more irked by people feeding you BS than anything. Maybe that part is going to make the show, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I'll I'll tell you. Um, I, I've been with with Ballrath for year and a half ish now, and one thing that in, impressed me when I when I first started was, and, and this was common amongst everybody who who would talk about about you, about Paul, about our CEO, was that. Number one, he was very approachable. So if I had anything on my mind, I could just walk up to your office, and if you know if you were available, then we were free to talk about that. So that was something that that I greatly appreciated. I will say that the very first time I met you, I I was I had been working at Volrath for about two weeks, and I was in one of Rich's Volrath University trainings oh, as part of the onboarding process. And this was really my first taste into corporate America at all, and. It was pointed out to me very quickly after you had entered the lunchroom where we were all having a break who you were just so I was aware who was in the room in case, I don't know, if someone thought I was going to do something stupid or what. <laughs> but 
you sat down at our table and I, we were, I was just mingling amongst the guests, customers of ours who come in for these trainings and, and we struck up a conversation and as you did with everyone else at the table. And I'm, I made a point of mentioning to you that like, just so you know, like I, I work for you, you don't have to serenade me. I work here, you pay me and we don't have to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't want, you know, and, but the thing was to the point about the authenticity and, and just your genuine nature that. I very quickly realized as I went to more and more VU trainings, that's who you are. That's what you do. You do get to know our customers. You do get to know the people who work here. And that was that first experience I had with you. It makes sense that it's completely in line with who you are because that's just how you carry yourself. There is no facade or act. That is just truly who you are. And I think that that really encourages the people who work here to do their best to be the same way. Right. Well, so plus I, it's I, easier because I don't have to lie consistently. I just... Am. <laughs> just am, right? I just am. There you go, Justin. I just am. I just am. Okay, continuing on with this then, on this theme of Paul and just being Paul and very approachable. Paul, we've had some interesting times at the VU trainings. And, you know, for those of you uh, that don't shit. know, we, we invite guests in, and then at night we go out to dinner. And Paul likes to show up to dinner usually toward the end of, the cocktail hour or maybe even into the dinner a little bit further. And I often wonder if, if there's a reason to that. And sometimes I think Paul likes to let people have a couple of cocktails in him before he starts to mess with them. And he, I shouldn't say mess with them, before he starts to talk with them. But he, Paul, and I've said this to you before, and this is not a any kiss up again here or anything, but it's, it's very true. You come to every one of them. You talk to every guest. It's not just this other business leaders and presidents there. You talk to every guest. And again, it's been some interesting times because some of those guests think that they're your buddy and they've had a couple of cocktails. <laughs> they start to talk to you like you're not the CEO of the company, like you're just another person at the trading, which has always been quite entertaining. But uh, <laughs> So thank you for always showing up to those dinners. But you enjoy talking to our customers. I know you do. You know, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy getting to know our customers. And I think that's one of the things in this industry, right? It's a hospitality industry. You have to enjoy people. You have to enjoy talking to people. You have to enjoy hosting people. And, and you know, everybody's got a different story, different story in their personal life, different story in their professional life. And, and I always find that so fascinating to kind of understand what makes people tick, what, what got them to where they are in life. So, that's that's part of my job I, I really enjoy. And, you know, occasionally at, in one of those events, maybe they'll try to get me drunk and take me skinny dipping. And and over the years, I've learned to gracefully say no. And uh, and Rich is laughing, but that does that mean there was a time? Does that mean there was a time you Paul. said yes? Yolo. Uh, yeah, the uh, I've never said yes, but uh that was probably the cleanest uh, proposition I've gotten um, <laughs> at some of those events. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've got a lot of different personalities that come to our trainings, and uh, it's always been good. I mean, we haven't had any real trouble, but uh, it's it's just always fun. And Paul, again, get coming into this, I think a little later in the evening by design is uh, people have a little bit of less inhibitions. Oh, it's nice to wait till the you know pump is primed a little bit before you go in and a little social lubrication, and then you just it's it's always interesting to see how uh, how much people internalize the fact that they have a personal brand and how they how they maintain or don't maintain that personal brand. 
So just as a warning, Justin, don't get drunk around me because I will judge you eventually. (laughs) (laughs) It's only fair. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, I want to go one more time with a more serious uh, uh, vein here, if we could. Uh, Paul, in your tenure at the Volrath Company, you have put many women in senior leadership roles. Do you make a conscious effort that we want to be more diverse in, in in your decisions on leadership? You know, I, I, the short answer would be yes, right? I think uh, the longer answer is <clears throat> I'm married to a very strong professional woman that has educated me over the 30 years of our marriage. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think, you know, if you look at our society, if you look at our industry, um, we're a very diverse society. We're certainly a, a very uh, diverse industry in almost every uh, kind of diversity um, spectrum or, or, or dimension. And, and, and I, I, I personally can't see why you would not continue to migrate your organization to be as reflective as possible as our society is and as our industry is. And, you know, it, you know, and you can, you can come up with a whole bunch of different excuses for lack of a better word about why that's hard to do. And, you know, I think the direction is important. And I think, uh, having that be visible and evident to everybody, you know, not so much in what you say, but what you actually do. And when I look at the the talent that we've built uh, and the diversity that we've built um, over the last 10 years, and, and, and this will sound a little geeky, but, you know, when we're having a VU or employee meeting, one of the things I like to do is, is kind of look around the room and Rich, you can appreciate this, having and been at Volrath uh, for even longer than I have, and and you can really get a sense of what a different company is now than it was ten or fifteen years ago, and and so I I take a lot of um, I guess sense of accomplishment to that, and yeah, it's part of the reason, quite frankly, or what we're a much stronger company than we were fifteen years ago. I definitely attest to that. That's one of the biggest things that impressed me about coming to to Volrath was the the culture the company culture that's been fostered here uh, is so far removed from any of my professional experience as many other people um, have experienced you know quote unquote hostile work uh, places where it just was not good and where you take something that you love to do like I, I used to love my job and then I dreaded it got to the point where I dreaded going into work and that's when you realize that, you know, something has to change and you don't quit your job, you quit your boss. And that's just apparent in so many different places where people are in leadership positions who have no business being there. And that culture that's been developed here is direct reflection of embracing diversity and balance through uh, putting the right people in the positions and, and just not the right resume. You know, if it would help Justin you to feel more comfortable. I'll try to be more hostile around you. If, <laughs> yeah, we're walking if, down the hall. If that's more your go-to space, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, that's where it's where I get comfortable. Yeah, just you know, I, just, I can come in and yell at you or pick up a two by four and crack me over the back of the head every now and then. You know. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm a I'm a servant based leader. If that's what you want, <laughs> I'll crack you so, over the head. <laughs> that's all I ask. You know, <laughs> we're really breaking some ground here. <laughs> certainly um up as your position is um you know you have your days you have those days where tough decisions 
big decisions and and you fill your day with that. What do you do when you leave work? And and we talk about you know, how people disconnect and and relax. And what are some of the things you do uh, to relax? And some of your hobbies that uh, give you give that downtime away from work. That could be a long uh, podcast if we talked about all that. No, I, <laughs> I I think no. I to call my interest eclectic would be um, probably an understatement. You know, probably ten years ago. I decided that uh, I would learn one new skill a year. So every year I kind of choose something. So, and, and, and some of those have fallen by the wayside, but you know, some of them um, have stuck. So for a long time, I've, you know, was an outdoor guy and do a lot of competitive sailing and whatnot. But uh, um, you know, we, uh, we live out in the country and have horses. So I've kind of taught myself the whole horse and horse riding uh, thing, um, you do your own fu- shoeing and stuff too. Hold on to that thought. All right, all right. <laughs> um, um, a couple of years, probably four or five years ago, I got into uh, uh, remote emergency medicine. So I'm part of ski patrol and uh, trained in outdoor emergency care and wilderness first responders. So you know I have a skill set that c- the community leverages to go um, search and rescue and, and take care of. Uh, people in unfortunate circumstances. So, you know, to, to relax, I go take care of screaming people with broken limbs, right? You know, so <laughs> there you go. Um, but uh, that's a intellectually challenging thing to do, but also a way to give back to the community. And, uh, you know, back to the horseshoeing thing, uh, last year's, uh, the, which was turned out to be good, the, the uh, 2020 objective was uh, I was going to teach myself uh, how to be a blacksmith. Right, so my wife kind of had the lead on me because she's got her own welding set up, and I thought that was too high tech, right? So I wanted to go lower tech. So, <laughs> so as as we went through 2020, I kind of built my forge up with my anvils and my forge and all my hammers and and tongs and stuff. And and you know sometimes it's better to be lucky than good because there were several evenings during some of the more challenging times in 2020 where going out to my workshop and just wailing on a piece of metal (laughs) (laughs) took a lot of hammer oh man (laughs) took a lot of took a lot of angst out but um you know so you know you'd probably sum that up of the further away i can get from what i do for work the happier i am so you'll find me not on a computer oftentimes not with people usually working with my hands outside Mm. Paul, I got to know, and I honestly do not know the answer to this question. As the head honcho of one of the larger cookware manufacturers in the United States, how much Volrath is in your personal kitchen? How many Volrath products, if you had to estimate, estimate, and what are they? What are some of them? I have a tremendous dog's breakfast of stuff in my uh, (laughs) kitchen. It is the weirdest combination of, you know, most of it is... Uh, Volrath one way or the other some of it's prototype stuff some of it's obsolete stuff I have cookware from our uh, our Nuku consumer line I have Pajadis cookware I have you know aluminum cookware I have Tribute you know I have Triply I have Clad Bottoms you know I have look at that product knowledge right there you know there you go um, <laughs> if you ask my wife before we uh, uh, we have too many tongs in our house because Back in the Can't day, have too before, many tongs. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Be, Rich will appreciate this. Uh, uh, before we improved our manufacturing process, we used to give tongs away 
at the employee sales. So I'd always bring like 40 tongs home, right? Because if you're going to <laughs> our church potluck or something, you could yeah. leave them there and you wouldn't care, right? And they yeah, were happy. Right, to have right. It. Um, you know, way too many, way too many whips. Uh, I don't even want to talk about how much, how many induction burners I probably have in my house of various types. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's a couple of Granita machines. You know, it's, it's just, it's sous vide. It's, yeah, you know, sous vide. You know, you. Uh, um, if you had to get rid of everything but one thing, what would that one thing be? You know, I I I have to say, um, I would probably stick to the selection of kind of my go-to cookware, and and it's and again, it it depends. And Rich will appreciate this, right? It it depends what I'm doing, right? And you know, because I'll. Um, you know, we have some phenomenal uh, nonstick aluminum fry pans, right? But when when I'm doing other things, I'll I'll uh, I'll go, you know, using you know our product. I'll, I'll I'll go with a Centurion or Intrigue, and you know, or a, or a Tribute because it, it somewhat depends on kind of the right tool for the job. Um, mm-hmm. But if there's anything I've I've truly gotten spoiled to. Over my years at Volrath, it's just having really good tools in the kitchen, right? You, 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 and I struggle. And hopefully, my mother-in-law never um, listens to this podcast because you know when we, uh, for a long time, you know when we have family gatherings, Christmas, Thanksgiving, or whatnot, at her place, you know I do most of the the cooking for these large family gatherings, and she just has the shittiest collection of tools in the kitchen <laughs> and it just drives me nuts because you get used to you know just having really good tools and and uh, not necessarily the most expensive tools or the name brand tools but you know much like you know in my shop I get used to good metal working or woodworking tools when I'm in the kitchen different kind of shop right you you just want good tools right I talk about it a lot in the trainings when you're working in the kitchen, you've got something that's designed well, it feels good. You just feel better using it. You feel better about the organization that bought it, the restaurant that bought it, that you support, and you you really just feel better using that tool than you do something that's not designed well, rickety, bent, whatever it is, right? So, yeah. No, that's the right tool for the right job at the right, right. time. Okay. Well, as uh, we thank you, Paul, for those candid moments, and I think Again, being in your role at the Volrath Company in our industry, it's a lot of people, you're certainly accessible to a lot of people, but I think that um, they learned a little bit about you today here. I think it's uh, it's fun to be able to just chat about some of these things. So thank you for, for that. We appreciate it. And now we're going to uh, ask for your help again in uh, contributing to our next session of the show and your our favorite moments as we've talked about uh, 49 shows. This is our number 50 here. And there are a lot of great moments along the way. The first favorite I think we'll queue up today is from Christina Wagner, our Vice President of Marketing. And Christina's always been very involved with the show. And early on, uh, she picked all of our guests and, and picked them out for different reasons. And one of the guests she picked out was Caitlin Cullen. And Caitlin is um, one, of our, one of the most fun guests we had early on. Very um, straightforward, really talented chef. But the things she's doing in her restaurant tandem in Milwaukee, uh, really giving back and mentoring students in her neighborhood. She believes very strongly about being local, and and she turned her restaurant, she said, into a soup kitchen, and she's doing this mentoring program. So that'll be our first 
moment here we'd like to queue up. I know that in five and 10 and 20 years, I'll be hearing from kids who are now grown, who have the, mm. the wherewithal to say that. But at, at this point, we don't get too much of that. I mean, unless you're helping someone with some significant life stuff. And I don't mind. Yeah. I don't do it for them to say thank you. I do it so that like, eventually we don't have to be marching in the streets every day for people to be able to live an equitable life in America. Yeah, right. you're right though. It, it does take that space and time to grow appreciation for somebody who's done something for you that's been transformative. Yeah, and they, and they have a lot of growth to do. We always joke about it as a crew that A, we'd make a great show for BET if they ever want to have a reality show in here, which if someone's listening, call me. Uh, but um, also we've always joked about it like somebody in this group is going to do great things, not just somebody. A lot. We've had over 150 employees. And so the joke is always, and they say it right back, they're like, when I hit it big, you know, my first big check is going to you. Like they say their appreciation in subtle ways, um, yeah. but they're just still kids. I think of myself at 22, good Lord. Right. <laughs> How did any of us make it? Yeah, <laughs> Anywhere. seriously, I didn't have kids. I mean, like they, there are a lot of compounded issues and they're doing their thing at 22. So I'll wait for my thank you. I got time. I think, I think this quote, in this section that we picked from Caitlin really speaks to something Paul mentioned earlier about mentoring and some of the stuff that goes with both giving and receiving grace in a way that part of what makes Paul motivated to be a mentor and to be patient with others is because with the luxury of hindsight, you realize how many people were patient with you. And I see a lot of that in Caitlin. I see a lot of that in her her willingness to give back. And Paul also mentioned earlier too, the the folks who don't have a ton to give, giving anyway, because it's the right thing to do. It's what they believe in. And I think that Caitlin is the perfect example of that. And she was so energetic and passionate about what she was doing and what she continues to do. It's it's very contagious. She didn't sugarcoat anything. It was just, this is how it is. And <laughs> yep. and she had a very unique way and, and humorous way at looking at life and just very real about it. And you know, her passion for what she does was so apparent it and and contagious as well she just took donations from the community and she did what she could with them and that's how she funded it she and she was real honest as i remember she said you know we'll just keep doing this as long as we can she didn't have the money to do it she was just doing it as long as she could and you know who knows where all those folks are going to end up i think that's you know you know i certainly would never thought as a 16 year old working in a restaurant i'd be doing what i do today so you know those folks that she's impacting those young folks um you know they'll do something special like she said and it may not be in food service but it'll be something special and they will definitely remember her absolutely all right next up paul we'll move on to your favorite moment of the show so far would you like to set this one up a little bit yeah you know i i think uh one of my favorites was uh um sam albendek from uh my if I remember his restaurant, it was the new spot on Polk in uh, mm, San right. Francisco. And, you know, I always right. have have this joke about the gift of feedback, right? And and uh, I think he had this really great attitude towards uh, customer reviews and how you take that as feedback. And, and if it's a negative review, how you turn that around into something positive. So I, I, I thought it was a great conversation with him and, and a great uh, attitude. 
I always told people that when I saw a one-star review, it would take me three shots of tequila before I respond. But now, <laughs> but now, being an elite Yelper before I opened the restaurant, so I know how reviews are valued. And a lot of people, that's all what they do. They go to Yelp to check into any restaurant before going walking into that restaurant. So in the early days of the restaurants, I used to get very emotional and defensive when somebody, mm-hmm. why you attack my gravy? I have it's hard. Gravy. It's hard not to be emotional about, about something you care about that right. deeply. Right. And that's now, instead of three shots of tequila, I count to 10, sometimes <laughs> to 20. <laughs> but honestly, it is so effective. I cannot stress it more to tell restaurant owners that responding to reviews, and I believe all reviews, because it's important to give a minute of your time to that customer that gives you that minute to write a review, whether it's positive or negative. Sam has that great attitude, right? And not so much the the three shots of tequila attitude, right? <laughs> but um, the attitude of kind of proactively um, responding to every review and treating every customer like they're valued, whether they it's it's a positive or negative experience. And so one of the things I remember um, from uh, grad school when I was getting my MBA was this ratio of uh, uh, a satisfied customer will tell one person, a dissatisfied customer will tell 13 people. So the power of his uh, taking the gift of feedback and proactively going after the the non-positive reviews uh, is is shows the power of flipping that right. It it takes something that might have sent sent thirteen to fourteen negative signals out into the marketplace and turns it into a positive signal, which is which is a, a tremendous leverage. And a lot of people will grumble or not respond to it because it's tough, right? You got to kind of put yourself out there when somebody's giving you negative feedback, and it, it's a real testament to Sam that he's willing to do that and and willing to improve himself and his operation um, in, in going the distance with negative feedback. All right, Justin, you're up. What, what, what is, give us your favorite. I had a difficult time uh, picking my favorite, but I settled on Gail Gand. Uh, that was, was one of my favorite top episodes. She was just so relatable and likable and approachable, and especially for being such a, such a freaking big shot in the business. I mean, she is top of her game and has been there for for some time. So to have her take the time out of her day to to hang out with us and just to make it a very overall, just a very enjoyable experience, I, I greatly appreciated that. So I will play for you my uh, one of my favorite moments from that episode. I had to make my or got to make my husband's birthday cake yesterday. So, you know, I'm serving him. Yeah. I'm helping him celebrate his birthday and he always has the right look on his face when he takes that first bite. And it's, you know, it's very satisfying. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And you get paid. Like, (laughs) there's, you know, I'm not just doing it. I get like, there's a check in the mail too, which that's, that's always fun. I wonder if anybody's done any studies, you know, hooked you up all the wires and everything and mapped the brain to see what's, What's happening actually as you're going through the baking process and then you're serving it and you're seeing people enjoy. I, I believe be actually, yeah, I believe they have that because they know that it, like baking improves concentration. There's even, um, there's a new thing. It's called uh, culinary arts therapy. 
So it's a form oh. of therapy where you cook or bake with somebody um, as a stress relief thing. It's so like it's a it's a you know an area of therapy you can study and get a degree in, and it's something called behavioral activation. So they'll they'll um, do some kind of activity like make chocolate chip cookies and try to associate that with something you do that maybe scares you and it takes away the fear because you get this reward at the end of the chocolate chip cookies. Hmm. So they use it as a way to, you know, kind of rewire your brain. So I particularly liked that moment with Gail because it, it just kind of reinforced what I kind of always felt. And she provided some additional insight into uh, why we like baking so much and why, especially over the course of this pandemic, why it's taken such center stage in a lot of people's lives, why they've taken up baking at home. And because it just makes you feel good when you can create something out of raw ingredients that tastes amazing and then share that love with other people. It's kind of kind of a no-brainer to feel good in dark times. God bless anybody who's a fantastic baker who can who can give that gift. We have a we have a good friend of ours who uh, started a small boutique bakery out of her house during the pandemic and you know once a week this beautiful loaf of sourdough bread shows up on our porch and mm. and uh she does sourdough for cassia and just fantastic but there's there's two different classes of people in the world those who can bake and those who don't bake but are great on top of the cooktop right and mm. And baking, there's a there's a level of precision and science that goes along with it. And if you deviate from it, um, it just doesn't turn out right. right. Um, and certainly, I am not a baker. <laughs> I exist. I exist on top of the stove. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we, we're probably split down the middle here because Nate Nate's quite quite the baker as well. Yes. Um, and, I, I mean, I'm not going to, you just compared me to Gail Gann, so I'm just going to go ahead and shut up because that's not, I, I don't, I, I'm not a baker compared to Gail, that's for sure. I mean, I personally have only had a chance to sample Nate's baking one time in the time he's worked with us, so oh, I've heard a rumor that it, it, it used to show up at the office more often, but. It did. We have, we have been missing that sorely as of late, so looking forward to the when we can start picking that up again mm -hmm. for sure nate why don't you uh, lead us into your clip here next if you would i'm with justin picking my favorite was very difficult but one one episode that just got me super fired up a conversation i just loved from start to finish was with sean kenyon um who was in charge of the bar service at williams and graham in colorado he's the kind of person that is super knowledgeable. He knows the history of what he does. He knows why he does it. He knows what the rules are and when to break them or has a good reason for breaking the rules. But what really got me was his approach to people and how he hired people and the wonderful discussion we had with him about his hiring process and the importance of putting the right person behind the bar. And that was, that was just such an eye-opening and refreshing conversation for me to listen in on. And so that was definitely my favorite part of, of that whole process. In, in the mid 2000s, the, the, the early teens, people were hiring people who had this like wealth of classic cocktail knowledge and slapping them behind the bar and saying, this is, you know, these people know what they're doing. Well, problem was just because they read a book about classic cocktails didn't mean they knew how to bartend. Didn't mean they had the physical, the physical aspects it took to, to bartend. It didn't mean that they had even the people skills. And that's, a, you know, I was actually having a discussion with somebody last night about this. There was a a really important time in our career 
in our industry where where the science of what we we do, we do took a you know took a forward step and like it, it went forward of everything else we did hospitality took a backseat you know pro, like bartending acumen took a backseat everything did and, and cocktail knowledge was like the like the you know the number one thing but it, you know it, it's it if you think about that you know i went to some of these world famous bars back in 2008 2007 and you know the experience was was limited because the bartender could tell me what was on page 39 of the savoy column 2 but they couldn't you know they couldn't tell me like you know if the yankees or the mets won last night or mm-hmm. you know like where where the greatest places are around this neighborhood like where should i go after i get done like the art of the bartender was lost yeah. in in the craft of the cocktail right so fast forward you know to now you know and and the the industry caught on after a bunch of years a bunch of a bunch of us yelling and screaming about um you know like we got to get back to our foundation and teach you know have go with a personality first approach and and teach them all the things they need to know um and that's where we're at and that's where we're always been we we have a we have a phrase you know hire the personality train the skill his approach of hiring the personality not the not the skill and be willing to teach be willing to be patient but then also as he went on in that conversation the level of detail he went into with his hiring practices about how he borrowed a page from a famous chef who used to take his staff or prospective staff members out to breakfast to see how they treated people and that that was kind of his in to knowing the real inner workings of someone that he may hire and how Sean will take someone to a coffee shop, will take someone to a bar, will t- will go out to eat with somebody and the how much care he takes in in hand selecting the people who work for his operation was just it was just really eye opening to me to hear someone with that perspective and, and, and the effort he puts into that. You know, I, I think it's interesting, right? We were talking a little bit before about the importance of culture and, and and the work culture and how people work together almost trumps everything else. If you don't have that, uh, then you don't have a firm foundation. And, you know, the other thing that that clip triggers is if I think back to my best experiences uh, in hospitality and being entertained, you know, half of it is the people side and half of it is people executing what they have passion for, no matter how complex or simple it is. Some of the best meals of my life have been with fantastic personalities in the kind of a dive restaurant, right? You know, four or five ingredients and whatever the burger was or the dish was, but just executed so well versus some snooty restaurant where the service was bad, there was no personality, there was no warmth to it, right? So I think the clip brings out both of those things, culture, passion for what you do, uh, and just doing it well. So talking about um, the emphasis on people is a great segue into my clip. My clip, my favorite, was with uh, Craig Culver, and he talked a lot about people. He talked a lot about how you take care of people, and if you listen to him in his commercials today, uh, he talks about that as well, just about taking care of people. And, you know, he, he was. I really enjoyed the show with him because he started with just himself in a, in an idea in a building. And I remember a, a comment he made where he said, look out of the parking lot, all those cars. Well, half of them, he said, were ours. You know, it was just that he was starting out and he wasn't, it wasn't like you opened the doors and he had huge success. He, he had to build that business, but uh, he built it with people. And my favorite moment though, is when he talked about the butter burger and how, <laughs> um, that is such a big part of their business. You know, they call it the butter burger and, well, let's let's listen to the clip. 
Well, what our marketing team tells people is the butter burger came from my mother from her home cooking. She'd butter the bun or whatever, and that's not true at all. <laughs> you know this is going to go live. We're going to air this show. I, I don't care. I love it. You know, I love it. The, 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 the butter burger, it, it, took, it took actually, I knew what I wanted to call the darn thing, but I wasn't sure how we were going to make it. And the first couple of weeks, I wasn't sure where the butter was supposed to go or whatever. <laughs> and finally, you know, there are there are other places that serve a butter burger as well. One in Green Bay, one in Milwaukee, and mm-hmm. and they're wonderful. I love those places. They're wonderful places. And they'll put a big slab of butter on the on the burger and let it melt and drip all over and stuff. And I said, well, we probably can't do that. But how about if we just butter the bun? and grill the bun like a you know a good tavern burger is basically what it is and and then we take a at that time it was two and a quarter ounce uh, a chunk of ground beef and put it on the grill and then we took our spatula and we flattened that burger on the grill uh, to get that you know the thin burger that we that we serve and uh it took about two weeks to develop that and figure out what the heck we were trying to do so we wouldn't have gotten that interview or that history of the Butterburger from anyone else. Anyone else in his organization, I'm sure, is told this is the story of the Butterburger. So that's what made that moment so special for me is he's past that point. He's he's just talking to us, and he's just a people person. He's with us that day, and he's telling us this story. And it was so memorable just to hear him say, I don't care. I just thought it was a great great. <laughs> well, yeah, ta- talk about Yeah, talk about somebody who is who they are at work and at home or on the podcast. <laughs> it, you know, it's funny you say that, Justin, because I, I've had a chance to sit down with Craig a couple of times. Nothing to do uh, with the industry, but on various nonprofit uh, ventures and college ventures. And and he literally is that guy, right? Goes back to that consistency and authenticity of leadership. That, you know, the Craig Culver we heard on that podcast was no different than the Craig Culver that – I've interacted with, you know, multiple times, genuine and real. What and I, that what I left that conversation with was like, what a wholesome guy. If I wanted to point out to like, this is what someone from Wisconsin could be at their best. Craig Culver really seemed to personify so much of that, and it's just he's he's knowledgeable. He is wise. He has a great understanding of the world around him and his place in it and how to impact people in a positive way and and really putting people first in the focus of and it was that was that's probably one of my favorite episodes that we've done that was i could listen to that conversation a hundred times and i would probably learn something new every time you probably wouldn't learn much about healthy eating (laughs) vegetables (laughs) but fried great fried cheese curds walleye sandwich and a great butter burger bang on yeah (laughs) And a guy that likes the hospitality side of the business. He yep. loves that side of it. That's that's him. Wow. Well, you know, great, great stuff there, guys. Thanks for, for all the quotes. And I think uh, our first 50 shows were, were fantastic and uh, looking forward to our next 50 for sure. So we'll put this on the calendar for sometime in the future. We'll recap uh, back again for our next our next 50. How's that sound? Everybody in? All right. Oh, yeah. I, mar- I marked in. down for the 100th. All right. Super. <laughs> Hey, Paul, before we um, let you go, we always ask our guests that at some point in your career, there was a quote or something that someone said to you that 
you remember that sticks with you and um, maybe guides you through your day or your life. Do you have anything like that you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, it, it was a great question when you guys asked me that, and I thought of a couple. But I think one, you know, since this is kind of a food service podcast that I'll, I'll share, is a long time ago somebody said, not in the food service industry, but somebody said, you have to stay in the kitchen long enough to eat your own cooking. And what the intent behind that was, as you go through your career, you know, everybody likes to make changes and think they can make a difference. But you got to hang around long enough in that job to make sure that it really delivered what you wanted to, right? That anybody can make changes. Anybody can throw a bunch of ingredients in a pan. But what really matters is how it tastes in the end. Does it does it get what you want? And and that's really guided me as I've gone through my career. Um, and the people that work for me probably get sick of me sharing that quote because Anybody can be a flash in the pan, right? But can you make changes that truly are the right changes for the organization? And as you go up in an organization, you got to spend longer in the kitchen, right? You know, if you're just starting out in your career, the ch- a successful change may only take six months to implement and see if it proves out. If you're, you know, running a company, that might be five years. You got to stay in the kitchen to see if it it got what you wanted. So. So, yeah, so uh, you got to stay in the kitchen long enough to eat your own cooking. All right, so that is going to put a wrap on this one, I think. Guys, uh, thanks again, Paul. Thank you for being with us today for all this. It was a great time. We'll look forward to doing it again soon. And and thanks again for all your support uh, with the feed and continue listening. And uh, thanks again for today. appreciate you joining us. No, it's my pleasure. It's been it's been fun to watch the feed develop and and you guys rock at doing what you do every time you do this podcast. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for that. Justin, any closing thoughts from you? I sure do. I would like to remind everyone once again to hit that subscribe button and never miss another moment with a food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, we'd greatly appreciate it if you drop us a line, give us an idea for an episode. We would love to hear what you have to say. Right. Thanks for that. And um, please, as Justin mentioned, give us a give us a shout out if there's something we can do, some topic you'd like us to look at. Find us at valrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And as I like to close out every show, a little quote of my own, this one again from my father, just do everything as if a customer is watching you. I think that just gives you good guidance as to always do the right thing. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care. <laughs>